When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. With Caleb Calhoun, here we go. And you want a show? We got a show as the preseason talk really is heating up. And Josh Heupel getting love and not getting love at the same time. And I do think that perhaps the reviews are mixed. I don't think people want to jump on board too soon when last year may have been a fluke. And I don't think that uh, people other people want to be behind the curve i'm talking about media people of course i don't think other people want to be behind the curve because you don't want to look stupid if tennessee just continues to improve so there's a lot of mixed reviews out there that we want to get into first of all caleb how are you sir i'm good how are you doing today dave Never better. Day two back from vacation, so I'm definitely ready to go. Yesterday wasn't pretty. First day back in the gym in like 10 days, it wasn't great, Caleb. You lose your win. That's the first thing. After that third set, I felt like I needed to take a nap. So we've got a lot to get to. Josh Heupel, seventh best among head coaches against top 25 teams. And a Georgia player says Neyland Stadium is actually better than Sanford Stadium. That was a big topic of discussion before the Georgia game. Also, where does Tennessee rank in Phil Steele's preseason top 25? Where will the Vols be ranked in the preseason, according to me and Caleb Calhoun? Nico, by the way, getting some praise as well. I've never heard of a backup quarterback talked about this much in my entire career. That's good, but I think it's best off if Joe Milton plays well and Nico's not needed. Also, the Vols projected to be favorites in Fewer than nine games in uh, 2023. Five teams projected to be favorites in every game. So we'll get to that. That's according to Brett McMurphy. So here we go. Let's start right now with 
a surprising list and it'll lead us to four downs. It's current power five head coaches, the best and worst against the top 25. So we've got one Josh Heupel coming in at number seven. He is eight and seven against top 25 team. That's a 53% winning percentage. Pretty good. Did it surprise you at all that Josh Heupel is on this list as seventh best in the nation? You win 50% of your games against top 25. You're in pretty good company. We'll get to the others that rank ahead of Heupel and behind him. But what did you think of Josh Heupel being number seven? It's one of those stats that you kind of know, but you don't really know. Uh, I think that's that's pretty strong considering he was at UCF and that he's rebuilding at Tennessee. What was your what were your thoughts on that? This genuinely shocked me, honestly. It largely shocked me because I didn't realize he had played he had coached so many games against top 25 teams. Now, if you go down the list, the other coaches have coached a lot more games against the top 25 because most of them have been coaching at the power five level for a lot longer. But Josh Heupel, I mean, Dave, I couldn't even think of I couldn't think of eight, 15 games he would have coached against the top 25. So for him to have eight wins against him is really, really impressive. And again, eight and seven is, I, I did not see, there's only one of nine coaches with winning records against the top 25 right now. And Josh Heupel is on that list. That's just something that, I mean, genuinely, I did not expect to see. And, you know, it, it, it leads to, it, it's a couple of things. A lot of the coaches on this list, there is a debate over, remember, sometimes you can be in a league where you face top 25 teams, but they're lower level top 25 teams. For instance, reading Ryan, my mind, you're reading my mind right now. Go ahead. Yes, exactly. Ryan Day is number one on this list. Y'all know how I feel about Ryan Day. I think the Big Ten always has those lower level Big Ten West teams that creep into number 20 and number 21 right around there. And Ryan Day's in Ohio State's always able to blow him out. And they're not really top 25 caliber. But if you're Josh Heupel and you're playing Alabama and Georgia, two years in a row, you're not really playing lower level top 25 teams on a regular basis. So I, I think this might be a little more legitimate. No, very true. And Ryan day is number one on the list and that leads us to four downs. And it's brought to you today by our friends at Zen sports. Four downs, four questions, four answers. The Dave Hooker show. Four. Bounds, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. Okay, well, let me go ahead and start with a first down. And, of course, Cooper Mays is going to help us get through this. No, he doesn't call the downs or even the snap counts. But to me, that's what makes it funny. So let's get to Cooper Mays right now. And, Cooper, what do you think? What down are we on right now? Coop here. First down. Thank you, Coop. Is this a fluke? Is this a fluke, Caleb Calhoun, that Josh Heupel is number seven in the nation against top 25 teams? Is it a fluke? Yay or nay? No, I'm going to say no with him because one of those top 25 wins is Alabama and another one is Clemson. And you can't really can't really overrate those. No, and I'm going to say absolutely not a fluke because I'm going to take it as a career view. And that is that. Again, he was at UCF, so he's kind of got one hand tied behind his back against top 25 opponents. Uh, they just don't have the resources. They're getting there. but And then he was at Tennessee in a rebuilding mode. So I don't think it's a fluke. I think you'll see him 
on this list five years from now. When we get to second down, um, I want Cooper to bring us in, of course, but it's brought to you by Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get. And with their cash rewards program, you get a lot of cash for a welcome bonus. Earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with the code HOOKED. HOOKED. That's right. Unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting. Keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month after that. And refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards too. Zen Sports is bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better and we remind you please support our advertisers we greatly appreciate it and they do too what down coop cooper mays here second down yeah and i was reading your mind earlier because i know where you're going most overrated on this list so let me give you the list number one is ryan day ohio state kirby smart number two (coughs) pardon me nick saban number three uh lincoln riley at usc is number four Dabo sweeney clemson Number five, Chip Kelly, UCLA is six. Then Heupel, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M is nine. Mel Tucker at Michigan State is a surprising 10. Okay, so most overrated on this list, you want to – I bet you're going to say somebody that's name rhymes with Brian May. (laughs) Well, he's tied on this list, funny enough, because there's another coach on this list who I think is pretty overrated, and that's – Near the bottom, and his his name rhymed with Wimbo Misher. I don't know. <laughs> Good old Wimbo Misher. So is Ryan Day the most overrated? Because what you said was absolutely true. Top to bottom, you could make an argument that the Big Ten was better last year than the SEC. Now, at the very top, I think the SEC was clearly better, uh, having two elite teams, maybe three, maybe four, that were right in the hunt for the college football playoff. So, but you're right. Ryan Day, it seems like every single week he's playing a number 21 blank. So there are a lot of wins against lower level top 25 teams. Yeah, exactly. And that's where I think this comes in. The reason I put, and that's why I put Jimbo Fisher in there too, because if you remember the same held true for the ACC for years. So when Jimbo Fisher was at Florida state, I mean, he beat Duke one year when they were in the top 25. Like, come on. Okay, so it's that was that one-year Duke Howard. They won the Big Ten Coastal or the ACC Coastal with David Cuckless. So I, I'm thinking, you know, when you're when those are your top 25 wins, it's hard for me to quantify it. So, yeah, Ryan Day is very high on the – I think Ryan Day and Jimbo Fisher are tied for this. And Ryan Day is going to be higher because he has a better win percentage overall. So, yeah, he's more overrated. And whatever you want to say about Jimbo Fisher, he's got a national title. And so, I mean – true. I would go Ryan Day. I would have, because of the national title, I would give him a clear-cut number one as far as the most overrated. Coop, what down is it? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here, third down. Okay, so this may sound like a weird question, but who's the most underrated coach on this list? The most underrated coach, the guy that you think is somebody you'd go out and hire but uh, on this list, maybe they're not as well represented. I'm going to go ahead and go first. Uh, I think it's Josh Eipel. And that, if, if you want to give me a, a close second, I probably would go along the lines of a Chip Kelly at UCLA, even though I think his 
best of times are behind him. But I think it is Heupel. I mean, I think he's the most underrated coach on this list. I think that the average football fan that lives in Montana may not know about Josh Heupel, but he's probably heard of Dabo Sweeney, Saban, Smart, Ryan Day, because they've been around in the spotlight a little bit longer. But I go Josh Heupel. Okay, so I'm going to – I have to agree with you. By default, I have to agree with you with Josh Heupel, but, you know, LSU homer Caleb Calhoun jumping in here and saying that Brian Kelly is also still underrated to me. I mean, I, you know, I still I still remember when LSU opened up the checkbook to get him, and a lot of people thought it was weird that they opened up the checkbook. And I'm like, I had opened up the checkbook years ago for Brian Kelly. So it, it's, it's close between those two because, again, when you're at Notre Dame – Notre Dame, when they're playing top 25 programs, they're playing legit top 25 programs. And genuinely, I mean, usually they're genuinely outmatched, Notre Dame is. So to have a winning record against the top 25 means something for Brian Kelly. What down is it, Coop? All SEC center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. How will Tennessee do this year against top 25 teams? So let's take a look at the schedule for just a second. Now, we I think they're going to be underdogs to Alabama because it's in Tuscaloosa. Georgia as well because Georgia's Georgia right now. As far as other teams they might be underdogs to, I'm I'm having a little bit of trouble finding another one. Maybe at Florida because it's in Gainesville. But I think they'll be underdogs to just two teams this year. Does that sound right to you? Well, we're going to talk about this later in the show, but there's a projection that they will be underdogs to maybe four teams this year, and I'm trying to figure out where that, that comes in. But as far as as far as top 25 teams are facing, yeah, Florida will probably be in the top 25 by default. Georgia will be in there. Alabama will be in there. I think South Carolina will be in there too because of how they finished the season. And then there's Texas A&M and Kentucky. So, I mean, I think you're looking at – Florida, South Carolina, Texas A&M, Alabama, Kentucky, and Georgia. I think you're looking at six teams that Tennessee plays that could be top 25 teams this year. And if those, and if all those six are in there, I think I think they're beating Florida. I am pretty positive they're beating South Carolina and Texas A&M. So, you know, I, I just, I think they go, I think they go four and two this year versus top 25. Uh, I could see that. We'll get into that a little bit more as far as uh, the the two teams will be underdogs too. I, I think Alabama's a coin flip because it's in Tuscaloosa and it's a revenge game. And uh, uh, Georgia, Georgia is Georgia. So right now, Travis says Brian Kelly is overrated. That's a clear shot at Caleb Calhoun. Uh, so we're going to post that at the top of the list. The top comment today, uh, so fill them in there, will receive a uh, hooker T-shirt for Hendon or Dave or my on Trammell, whatever you choose. Uh, there you go. As far as the worst on this list, you want to give us a quick rundown on that because there's a Tennessee tie to worst against top 25. Yes. So number one is Mike Loxley at Maryland. I'm a Terp graduate. He's eight, he's two and 23 against the top 25. But part of that is him going 0 and 7 against New Mexico when he was in New Mexico. And that's sure. not a good job. So uh, Jeff Halfley, Boston College, one and nine. Matt Rule at Nebraska. 2-16, and 16. but again, he was at Temple, and he had to rebuild Baylor, so I'm giving him a break. Tom Allen at Indiana, 3-23. and 23. Again, Indiana, that he's. I, I'm not going to judge him too harshly. Number five, everybody, who's ready for it? Greg Schiano, when he, all of his, at, at Rutgers, 4-27. and 27. 
against the top 25. Dave, did you know Greg Schiano gave up 63 points to Butch Jones in 2010? I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. <laughs> is, is, he, is he liked at all by Tennessee's fan base right now, or is he still the hated one? Greg Schiano or Butch Jones? Because I think they're both pretty hated. Well, I would say Shiano is where I was going. I, I know that Butch Jones is is pretty much hated, uh, and and I don't blame him whatsoever. So, um, yeah, Shiano to me is, aside from all the stuff at Penn State, and I don't know that I've said this publicly before, he would have been a very average hire. He would have been a, a Butch Jones success type of hire a very different person but he would have had that sort of success so and he also has a tracker going to be in a bit of a snake too though remember what he did with josh freeman when he made up a story about josh freeman being a drug addict because he was trying to devalue him on the court on the uh, free agent market when he was true and i also remember when i called the don bosco head coach to do an interview with several of his players and I said, I know the coaches are there, and I don't know exactly what the schedule is. And he said, well, every coach from um, uh, Rutgers is here, except for Greg Schiano. He didn't even tell his own coaches that he had taken the Tampa Bay job. And they're on a recruiting visit while he's flying to Tampa. That's not a great dude, Caleb. I hate to tell you, but if I make a major – well, I'd, I'd love to tell you. If I make a major career move, you will know it for me before anybody else, but no plans to do so. So a big topic last year is Sanford Stadium in Athens overrated. And it got kicked into high gear because Eric Ainge uh, basically said Sanford's not a tough place to play. And during the 2000s, a lot of times it wasn't. That end zone wasn't closed. Now you have a Georgia offensive lineman in Tate. Ratledge saying that Neyland Stadium is the best stadium in the SEC. I'm sure Kirby Smart and Georgia fans aren't happy to hear this, but it is why I absolutely love linemen in general and that they are very honest. And so, uh, especially offensive linemen. So, Sanford or Neyland Stadium. I think this pretty much gives you insight into this. I don't think that Sanford's in the top 10 of toughest places to play. It's tougher than it used to be. I thought uh, Eric Ainge was a little bit off, a little bit dated because of the improvements they've made. Um, And the people that said it's an easy place to play were crazy. But as far as Neyland and Sanford Stadium, there's not a comparison. It's just really not. No, not at all. And this has... I've covered multiple nuts. games at both places, and Neyland is one of the top five toughest places to play, in my opinion. Sanford's lucky to be in the top ten. It's funny. So when you were off last week, uh, Jaru and I had a conversation because there was a guy on a Reddit board, a guy from Ireland who's traveling through the south this fall, and he's actually going to go through Tuscaloosa for a game. And I, he, he asked all these questions like, is there football in October? I'm trying to experience American football. Yeah, and Josh paid us. I'll tweet it, and we agreed. He goes to an Alabama game in October, and that's his first American football game experience. He's never going back to Ireland. He's never going back home at all because he's going to want to stay here forever. And then we started breaking down what's the best college football environment place to go. And I said that Athens would have been number one if not for Sanford Stadium not being that loud of a place. And that's the only thing that's holding Athens back from being the best college experience in the SEC by far for college football. 
because Athens is a nice town. No, agreed. And 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 Rocky Top Tom, I'm gonna put you up on on the main screen because I do want to address a comment you had. And by the way, Top Comment gets a T-shirt from Off the Hook Sports. Rocky Top Tom says, "Here we go again. The hedges are tough. Our offensive line had nine pre-snap penalties because of the noise in Sanford last year. It's a really tough place to play now. It's not the '90s anymore." Here's how I would address that, and you're up for the top comment of the day right now, and you can uh, win a T-shirt. Tom, I want to say this. I think a lot of places can get up for a game, but is it tough for every single game? Does it scare uh, a UTSA, or does it scare uh, a smaller opponent? I believe it does, and I believe it's always up for the big games. So... Caleb, I don't I don't want to say that Sanford can't get up. They clearly did. Good for them. But I don't think week in and week out it's that tough. Yes, and as and and as Georgia offensive lineman Tate Ratlich was saying, he was saying Nalen's better than Sanford, but he was acknowledged he wasn't claiming that Tennessee fans are better than Georgia fans. He was if the, and I, neither one's better than the other, but the point is the stadium is open on one side, so the sound travels. No, true. And and also, Neyland is, it's a lot of metal and concrete. I mean, that's a big factor, too. Um, I mean, it's it's raucous in there. I don't think there's any question about it. Just for the record, where how would you rank the top three stadiums? Because I, I would say, now I'm, I'm talking about teams at their best that are competing for championships. I would say LSU and Florida are tied for one in my mind. Neyland is a very close second. And then you kind of hit a different level. So I think that, you know, you could make an argument for Sanford or Tuscaloosa, uh, Bryant Denny. You could make an argument for actually Columbia, for South Carolina, uh, Williams Price. Uh, you could make an argument for a lot of people. I'm not sure who's fourth, but I feel pretty certain who's one, two, three. Bryant, De- Bryant Denny is on that level now with Nalen. And well, the Swamp and Baton Rouge are on their own. Nobody's on the Swamp and Baton Rouge's level. Anybody who's been to those stadiums, just the way they're designed, they are so loud. And so that's that's uh, that's a tier on its own. The tier right behind them, Nalen and Bryant Denny are on that tier together. Bryant Denny closed the bowl, I guess it was about 10 years ago, Dave. 13, 14 years ago. And also Alabama's got a new wave of younger fans that, so it's not a bunch of old people anymore in the stadium. So the combination of those two things makes the fan base a lot louder. So Bryant Denny's on that level. I don't know because I haven't been, but I hear Texas A&M's on that level too. I haven't been there either, but I hear it's elite, elite. Please hit that like and subscribe button. We greatly appreciate that. I want to get to that clip where Tate Rutledge says Neyland is uh, so great. And it's brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning. City Heat and Air. They are absolutely fantastic. Integrity matters. 50 years in business. And they will absolutely give you the right assessment of your HVAC unit. That's City Heating and Air Conditioning. Cityheatandair.com. So let's play that clip of uh, Tate talking about, it's a funny name, Tate Ratledge talking about uh, Neyland Stadium is pretty darn good. Here you go. Fired up. All righty. Hey, I love that. I don't know what Neyland Stadium what it was. No offense to Sanford or Georgia fans, but Neyland Stadium is the best stadium in the SEC. I disagree with that. 112,000? 
forget the numbers. And it's a bowl? Yeah, so but like, I'm going to be honest. on the river? Sanford, Sanford, when we played Tennessee, was definitely louder than when we played at imagine Tennessee. If, imagine if our fans were in that stadium, though, how loud it would have gotten. Hey, I loved it. I don't know what oh, Neyland Stadium. Wow, that's a lot of love for Neyland Stadium. 112,000? They didn't, don't even seat that many. But um, Tate Ratledge uh, apparently likes Neyland Stadium. And also, there's a giant flaw in comparing how loud Tennessee fans were in 2021 when Georgia went to Knoxville and blew them out of the waters versus how loud Georgia fans were last year when they were beating Tennessee. If Tennessee was beating – if Tennessee was in that game with Georgia in 2021 or in the game with Georgia – if they're in the game with Georgia this year, trust me, Nayland Stadium will be much louder than Sanford Stadium will at that point. So it, it depends on that. It, it's – I think that's a, a lot – Georgia and Alabama fans have a not, – not well, Alabama players not last year, but Alabama players before last year and Georgia players before – and Georgia players still had a skewed version of Nayland, Nayland Stadium because it doesn't get that loud. It wasn't getting that loud over time because they were blowing out Tennessee by the end of the first quarter, usually. And so, Absolutely agree. How about some Josh Ward up next? Please click that like button and subscribe. We greatly appreciate that. If you haven't already, got a lot of great things coming up. The Spencer Riley Celebrate 98 episode is up, and he might be one of the funniest men in East Tennessee. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. If you haven't watched that yet, you don't remember Spencer Riley, he was a center that was as quotable as they get. Absolutely fantastic. All right, so we'll be back in exactly two minutes, and Josh Ward will join us. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Off Doug Sports. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. 
At Bassey's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassey Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. With Caleb Calhoun and our Thursday guest, it is Josh Ward, the one, the only. You can hear him on the Sports Animal from noon to three. That's a fantastic job. And pretty good cat as well josh ward how are you sir doing great great to be with you guys yeah we certainly do appreciate it and uh josh we were digging into a couple of different things and one is very relevant to you in that you recently had uh phil still on and i read some of the quotes somebody aggregated part of the quotes and he was very he seemed very very high on on tennessee so and that they would challenge Georgia. So let me set you up, share what Phil still said, and then I want to share where he has Tennessee ranked because they seem to conflict a little bit. But if you could first start mm-hmm. with what Phil still said. Yeah, he does expect Tennessee to contend in the SEC East. Now, contend and win are two different things. But last year, Phil was very high on Tennessee's offense. He began the conversation by pointing out that he predicted 45 points a game for Tennessee a year ago and ended up being short of how good Tennessee's offense was. But he's high on Tennessee, the depth of the offense, especially at wide receiver. Part of that because of the arrival of Dante Thornton. Because when you hear, wait a minute, depth at receiver, don't they have to replace the Bolitnikoff Award winner in Jalen Hyatt and then Cedric Tillman, who may have been their best wide receiver on the team, especially over the last two years, both of those guys off to the NFL. But the arrival of Dante Thornton has generated buzz, and that's not necessarily news to Tennessee fans, but Phil, he, he tries to talk to every coach of every team, and he actually ended up talking to Joey Halsley instead of Josh Heupel, but Halsley's the new offensive coordinator and has been the quarterback's coach, and I think from that conversation, Phil drew that, okay, Dante Thornton's probably going to play an important role in this offense, so Phil is again expecting a lot of points, uh, but within the schedule, Texas A&M is his biggest surprise team, and that might be one reason that while he expects Tennessee to contend in the East and maybe be number two to Georgia, he doesn't have Tennessee beating Georgia out to win the SEC East. So he has Tennessee 19 in his preseason rankings. I mean, to me, challenging the preeminent program right now in college football, I would think they'd be at least more around 10. Did you may have known that, you may not. But does that surprise you? Did that surprise you? So when we talked to him last week, I did not know Tennessee's ranking yet in okay. the magazine. Uh, I had not seen a copy yet. So, yeah, that surprised me based on the conversation we had about what he expects out of Tennessee. Because if Tennessee finishes 19th and 
that let, let's say that's at the end of the regular season. That is likely eight and four. So Tennessee would have gone four and four in conference, we'll assume, because I'm going to give Tennessee a win against Virginia and the other three non-conference opponents. So if Tennessee goes four and four in the SEC, that means they've suffered a couple of losses against teams that right now fans are saying we better beat those teams. One could be Texas A&M, which would be disappointing but not be stunning. But then that means somebody else in the East, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri on the road. None of those games are games that I'm hearing Tennessee fans right now talk about losing. So that would be really disappointing in a number of ways if that's how it plays out, aside from injuries blowing up the season. Sure. And, I mean, I guess that could happen, but yeah, I but was that's surprised. not part of the prediction here. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was really surprised to see 19. It, just coincidentally, I read uh, somebody that aggregated your interview and then saw the 19 like within an hour. So, anyway, Caleb, go right ahead. Yeah, Josh, uh, it's it's funny you bring that up because I was paying attention. I, I've been following Phil Steele for 20 years now, and the only time I ever remember him getting Tennessee like dead wrong was 2002, and you guys probably remember that year. He had them number one, and then they finished eight and five. But that was like I, I don't I still have not seen a team get wrecked by injuries like the 2002 Vols did. But he has had a pretty good read on Tennessee over the past two decades in terms of when other teams rate them high and he thinks they're overrated he gets proven right, I guess, a lot of times. So how much of this is a concern, given his track record of accuracy on Tennessee specifically since 2005? Well, um, a little bit. Uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to go back and have a follow-up knowing the ranking after the fact, and you know, maybe there wasn't as much thought put into the rankings as there was the team information because his comments, and by the way, Phil knew that he was on the radio at Knoxville. He might have played up. <laughs> Uh, his compliments of the team, knowing that he was talking to listeners in Knoxville who are Tennessee fans. At the end of the conversation, he also said, though, hey, fans have to be happy. When I, when I said, hey, check out, you can go check out the magazine, you know, he promoted where you can find it. And I said, hey, Phil, thanks. Always great to have you on the show each summer. And he, before saying goodbye, said fans have to be excited. So I, I think he has a genuine good feeling about Tennessee's football team and especially the offense. Again, to back to go back to Texas A&M, he is high on the Aggies, and that is a team on Tennessee's schedule. So he, he may be of the opinion that nine and three would land Tennessee that far back in the ranking, uh, or he may look at how should a team be ranked right now, not necessarily what the schedule will be. People have different opinions of how they put together a ranking, but to me, nineteen is is low based on the compliments he gave to Tennessee's football team, and it's also lower than most off-season rankings I've seen. We won't get the official polls. I say official as if they mean something, but we won't get the polls until August. But of the different publication rankings, 19 is about as low as I've seen. No, and Phil absolutely loves to use acronyms in his magazine because words are just too long. So I'll go ahead and give him this. What the... What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. I use that because the kids send the WTH. That's what the kids do in text. That's an acronym. Do you use the, what acronym do you use in text that you probably. It's definitely WTF. (laughs) Oh, is it? Is it WTF or WTH, Josh? What do you use? Yeah, WTF. Yeah, I think that one's much more common. I don't. I don't know that I've ever received 
or sent. I'm sure I've never sent. I don't think I've ever received a WTH either. Josh Davis totally fill. You guys all watch Modern Family, right? No, uh, I, I have. Yeah, for sure. So the very first Modern Family episode in 2009 feels like I'm the cool dad. That's my thing. I text. I know all the acronyms. WTF? Why the face? <laughs> I'm like, that's totally Dave. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's an homage on my show to Norm McDonald, who on his one season of the sports show actually had a what the H segment. So I'm going with WTH and I don't have to be cool. Josh's appearance is brought to you by Craft Treats. Go to crafttreats.com and you can save 20% on any of their products, including the CBD pet products that will help with your pet's digestive issues, arthritis, or anxiety. Use the promo code off the hook, promo code off the hook. Get 20% off at crafttreats.com. Again, crafttreats.com. So where do you think Josh Tennessee will be preseason? Preseason rank, uh, I would guess outside the top 10, I would say somewhere between 11 to 15, maybe outside the top 15, but 11 to 15, somewhere in that range is my guess. I'm, I'm at 12, so we're, we're in the same okay. place. Uh, Josh, we don't have uh, FCC regulations, so Travis asked, what does WTF mean? Do you want to go ahead and throw that out there? Well, if you know what the F word is, <laughs> then it's removing word and just relying on the F, and then you can figure it out from there. <laughs> right. Okay, so we're both uh, – we're all in agreement, I think, around 10 to 14, 15 – somewhere in there so um th- that's Definitely good not and, 19 no i just don't see 19 in preseason rankings and if tennessee finishes in uh, 19th uh this year i think uh with what josh said it will be a massive disappointment um yeah okay. and, and i will add that tennessee's in a position from a pollster standpoint those that are going to be voting on it because it's just a collection of that how many points can you accumulate Tennessee is still a program program where I think a lot of people are asking, okay, are they really back? Or was that, okay, they found Hinnon Hooker, who was great. They had a Bolitnikoff Award winner. They had this offensive, offensive tackle. I don't know how much Darnell Wright gets factored in. Probably not as much as he should, in fact. Agreed. But knowing those guys are gone does leave a question of, okay, Joe Milton's back, but I don't recall thinking too many good things about Joe the last time he was the starter. I don't know that that's fair, but that'll be the mindset of some saying, okay, Tennessee has to prove it. But so many programs have so many questions, and Tennessee's offense, I think, gets a benefit of the doubt that even if it takes a step back, which is likely, it's still a top 10 offense nationally, which would make it really difficult for Tennessee to be worse than a top 15 team, I think, considering the depth and development of players on defense. So if Tennessee's outside the top 15, I think that is – too harsh of a prediction of what Joe Milton will be at quarterback, but we'll find out. I, there'll be, there'll be plenty that vote Tennessee outside the top 15. I think the average of it will have Tennessee inside. That leads us to the next thing I wanted to ask you about. And um, it, it has to do with Tennessee's quarterback situation. Cause I agree with you. I think ultimately that Tennessee would have to have bad quarterback play to be anywhere close to 19 and that brings in a conversation from on three uh, as uh, Andy Staples and Brent Hubs got together. And he said, uh, Brent said the same thing that I've been told about Nico. There you go. Um, that his maturity coming in was 
practically breathtaking that his willingness to fit in and be a part of the team and not think the mindset of I got to bench Joe Milton this year, I got to start this year has been pretty remarkable. Um, I think that he came in with enough talent to motivate Joe Milton. If there was any sense that he might be lackadaisical heading into this season, but that's the reviews I've heard of Nico have been absolutely fantastic. Josh, um, as far as his maturity, you, yeah, uh, that's what I've heard. It's a uh, contrast to those whispers that Dennis Dodd reported on. I reported is too strong of a description from several months ago. It's, we talked about that at the time. I heard the opposite, and since then, the same deal. Uh, he has the physical can remind, tools. Can you remind everybody what Dennis said? Yeah, Dennis wrote before spring practice that there were whispers that Nico might not be worth the reported money that he was receiving uh, through name, image, likeness. And that can be a whole separate discussion when we talk about worth, but the reason he was saying that was from a football perspective. And I thought that was laughable at the time because, one, he hadn't even practiced yet. So what exactly were they basing that on? Some workouts in the winter uh, as an early enrollee, a high school senior that had not even officially started college besides you know enrolling in spring semester classes. Uh, but I, I didn't even hear that at the time. At the time, I heard – yeah, he, he's putting in the work. I I physically witnessed him on a Saturday night leaving the complex at 9, 9.30, something like that. It was after a Tennessee basketball game, and he was pulling out of the complex where he had uh, been, whatever they were doing, working out, watching film uh, on a Saturday night during the spring semester. So uh, it was really silly and kind of out of nowhere because Dennis also had a colleague that wrote the opposite not that long after that. But we saw him in the spring game make some throws that backed up why he was ranked so high. And then if you want to just remove all the physical ability, because I, I don't think anybody's really questioning his tools in terms of arm strength, release, uh, ability to move, uh, how much work is he putting in? What is his understanding, his maturity, if he is getting all this money and he's coming in with all these accolades? And everything I've heard has been great. At some point, he will have to prove it on the field in the SEC, and he does need to add weight, which applies to 100% of freshman quarterbacks that arrive. So uh, that can't be a criticism if it's something that everybody has to do. It's more of an analysis. So everything I've heard has been great. Does that mean he's ready as a true freshman to go out there and win big games in the SEC? That would be a stretch, but I think that's a stretch for everybody. Bryce Young didn't play right away. Uh, C.J. Stroud didn't play right away, and they went 1-2 and two in the NFL draft two years later. So uh, everything I've heard about Nico has been great, and some of the things I've heard has been better than expected with the expectations already sky high. Most important question, what was Nico driving? Uh, it was a sport utility vehicle. Was it? What uh, brand? As, as uh, Phil from Modern Family would say, an SUV. <laughs> SUV, very, very good, very good catchback. Um so it was what brand was it? Like a Hummer? No, I don't. Well, I mean, it was nighttime, so I I didn't pay attention to who drives a Hummer uh, anymore. What year? But uh, it wasn't anything. Guys fancy, that make, but it was guys it was that a, make it was eight million car. dollars. It was just a normal car. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it was a, a clunker by any means. It's just there was nothing fancy about it that stood out. But it was an SUV. Okay, gotcha. All right, and, and you I don't know, but you know, I don't know that it was his. I don't know. It could be a teammate's. It could be a rental because it, he hadn't been on campus that long. So I, I don't know. Okay, well, I was just, I mean, the guy's making like eight, nine million dollars. I'm just curious. I wonder if that number's gone up since he's been on campus. 
Yes. Yeah. That's the other thing is we had the old days of if we saw an athlete driving a car, it'd raise eyebrows like, oh, wonder how he got that. That's old. You know, that's old news. That doesn't happen anymore. No, and real quick, Caleb, I, I know you got something, but I remember a one reporter, and I'll tell you off the air who this is, Josh, but it would threaten coaches with, hey, I'll just go around and get license plates of the cars and where the players park if he didn't get his way. M- might rhyme with ifeth. There you go. <laughs> so go ahead, Caleb. So, Josh, it's it's funny because – Everybody's talking about Nico so much. And I mean, I'm, I've never, it's not that I haven't seen a freshman get this type of hype. I mean, I haven't, but well, I have because I, I where, where, and where I'm going with this, and I know I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm thinking like what this all means for Joe Milton because it is rare where you see a freshman, not just a freshman quarterback, but a quarterback expected to be a backup this year get this type of hype when there's another starting quarterback. Entering his senior year, I mean, is the only comparable situation I could think is Chris Leak, Tim Tebow in 2006. And then, Dave, you might be able to throw this in, but I would assume Jerry Colquitt, Peyton Manning had to deal with the same thing. Now, that changed because Jerry Colquitt got hurt the first game of the year. But are, are those the two most comparable situations that you would say applies here where there's a clear starter, but the backup freshman is getting all the hype and the talk? Well, um, I mean, I think Trevor Lawrence, when he showed up at Clemson, there was a lot of expectation that he would see the field at some point, and then he did after four games where Kelly Bryant had the chance to move on. So that was able to – Clemson did him a solid by allowing him to hold on to that red shirt because they were going to make the change. I mean, when Bryce Young showed up at Alabama, I thought there was a lot of hype there and an expectation that, yeah, Mac Jones, I don't know. And then Mac ended up being a terrific player and a first-round pick at quarterback. The, the thing is that I hear a lot of hype about both. With Joe Milton, the show he put on at the Manning Passing Academy, launching those 70, 80 yarders, I don't think Nico could draw that kind of crowd of anticipation of let's see what he can do. I think people would be excited to see his physical tools, but Nico's not throwing the ball 70 yards with ease where it looks like he's just flicking the ball 10, 20 yards down the field. Joe's able to do that. So those videos have created all kinds of hype and attention around Joe. I think from what I've seen with Tennessee fans, there is excitement and hope that Joe is able to continue what they saw from the win against Clemson and tap into all this potential that has been talked about for two years and unleash it in this Tennessee offense this upcoming fall. And then it will be Nico's time. But right now I I don't have too many Tennessee fans say to me, hey, I think Nico's going to take over. I don't think Joe's going to get it done. There are some that have that opinion, and I have heard that. But more often I hear, Joe's got it now. This is Joe's offense. He's going to be great. He's going to help lead Tennessee back to a 10-win season, maybe even better. I hear more of that. That doesn't mean it speaks for everybody, but that is the reaction I get right now. And over the last month, I think the hype has built around Joe because he has been out there and fans are seeing him and hearing from him. Uh, his quote the other day at the Manning Passing Academy that uh, came from his media session where he said, I don't lose in Florida. That started to get some attention. Tennessee goes to Florida this upcoming season. So I think fans are very excited about the confidence that Joe is showing and from that are growing confident in his ability to have a big year as a senior. Okay, before... Yeah, go ahead, Kevin. Sorry, I just wanted to ask one last thing because we're talking about Joe. 
both you guys, yes or no, will we see a 70, uh, a touchdown pass of more than 70 yards through the air, meaning the receiver catches it in the end zone and it's a 70 yard touchdown pass this year? Oh, wow. Goes in the air 70 yards. We're going to see some overthrows of 70 yards. I know. Will so, we see a so touchdown where he launches it yards. from behind the 30 and it's caught in the end zone? Yes. Yes. Are we counting? Are we are we saying a five step drop? So he's roughly five. We're counting it from where he throws it. I will say yes. Uh, I will. I will say no. From uh, from the line of scrimmage to where the ball is caught, seventy plus. I'll say no. He might have a seventy plus yard touchdown, but I'm going to say that's going to include the yak. Yeah, There's okay. another one for you. Yards hey, after what? catch. What? what the WTH? Uh, I would. I would. Yeah, they don't call it yard. Yards after reception. Yards after catch is what we're looking at. That's right. Um, and I would say this to your point, uh, Caleb Jacob Eason. Even though it didn't pan out, I think he was the guy that was supposed to replace Tetson Bennett, and that didn't work out. But I don't see that happening to Nico. I don't see a transfer. I don't see anything like that. And I would say this. I I think that. For those that want JT see, Daniels is a transfer from USC. Yeah. Uh, no, I was talking about Jacob Eason, who came from Washington, ended up transferring back west. When he came in, I think everybody thought, but I would, I would take Daniels too. I think there are about three or four guys they brought in they thought would bench Stetson Bennett. Yeah, well, I, th- I think your timeline's a little off there. So it went Eason and then Jake Fromm. Fromm, Fromm was the guy after Eason. They went back to back freshmen that came in with a ton of hype there. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So um, one thing I would say about um, about Josh Heupel that could be a criticism when it comes to handling quarterbacks, is he too loyal to a quarterback? I, I, I wonder if he would be willing to pull the trigger if Joe Milton didn't play well. What do you think? That's a good question. Um, I mean, Virginia and Austin P. I just would be stunned if it goes poorly. But game number three at Florida, there's a chance that Florida's defense comes out and they're aggressive and they're able to force pressure and it forces Tennessee's offense into some mistakes. And in the middle of the game, they're trying to get some things figured out. Uh, and win or lose, what if that kind of carries over over the next couple of weeks? I don't know. The last time a change was made, it was kind of forced on Josh Heupel when. Joe Milton got hurt against Pitt. Hendon Hooker came in and then continued on after that. And it just was obvious that he needed to remain in the position. There was no opportunity for Milton to get that job back. But what if Milton hadn't been hurt in that Pittsburgh game? How long would he have been able to stay as the quarterback? How long until a change would have been made? Because I think a change was inevitable with how things were going there. I don't know. So uh, this would be a test, but I'd, I do agree in the loyalty part. I think that applies to his staff because loyalty is also from comfort. Comfort in knowing what you're getting out of the player or at least believing you know what you're getting out of the player from what you've seen in the practice field and the meetings and the conversations you've had. I think that's applied to the coaching moves we've seen where guys have been elevated. Uh, Ablin, this this offseason, last year, Kelsey Pope, and paid off with Kelsey Pope. He has a Blitnikoff Award winner. He's one for one as a full-time assistant coach. So... If Joe struggles, uh, if he doesn't play quite as well, if the offense is not as crisp as expected, 
He also brought in Nico. So what is loyalty? Because Nico's his guy too. That's who he recruited. Joe's a guy that transferred in. But from everything I know and understand, I believe Josh Heupel is fully confident in Joe getting the job done. And that would lead me to believe that he'll get a pretty long leash, that if there's some struggles early on, part of that could be due to what they see with the offensive line. They, they don't have the same protection they could expect with Darnell Wright. And they're trying to get the left guard position figured out. So if they see some of the issues coming from pressure that is caused by opposing defenses due to offensive line issues well they're probably not going to be all that confident in a true freshman going in also consider they have two scholarship quarterbacks if you make a change well you you move joe to number two where's his mindset at that point if you go to a freshman freshman has to get it done because you've you've now pulled the plug on joe milton as a senior and be difficult to get that confidence back to. So I, I think they will they will give him as much time as they believe he needs if it's slow out of the gates. Is it fair to say that playing Milton ahead of Hooker after what we saw the past couple of years is that's been Josh Heupel's biggest mistake at Tennessee? Well, he hasn't made too many, so yeah, I think so. Uh, and it's it's still fairly explainable. At the time, I thought, Hinden made more sense based on what we had seen in college when they went with Joe I did also give Josh Heupel the benefit of the doubt at the time that okay I, I know he can coach offense and I know Joe Milton has this skill so maybe it will work out but it was just it was too quick of a turnaround for Joe arriving to a few months later being the starting quarterback in an offense that he admittedly was still trying to learn his knowledge of the offense is so much better now and uh, there were differing opinions behind the scenes at the time, should it be Hinden? Should it be Joe? It was it was the wrong decision, but um, it was explainable why they went with Joe. But I mean, th- how many mistakes has Josh Heupel made to this point? So yeah, I'd say it ranks number one. I mean, wouldn't that be? I, I don't want to be like I, I don't want to call it arrogant, but it, it have 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 you guys ever seen a coach who is so thoroughly confident in his ability to coach offense the way Josh Heupel is? I mean, he hires staff members that are on his staff that are loyal that that are familiar with the system. He wants his guys at quarterback. So he picked Joe Milton over Hendon Hooker. So he, because he signed Joe Milton, is it me or does Josh Heupel have a level of borderline arrogance of how much he thinks he knows about the offense and the guys he wants? I would be arrogant if I were as good as him at coaching offense. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, he does. Uh, Who's the most arrogant offensive coach of all time? Steve Spurrier. I mean, his, his, his belief in what he was doing and changing quarterbacks. I mean, that's not what Heupel is doing. So, uh, yeah, maybe a little bit of it. But, you know, Heupel didn't bring Hooker to campus. So he looked at it and said, okay, Joe's the guy we need to bring in. And coming out of the spring, it's not like that that spring when Josh Heupel had arrived because Hinden had arrived having been recruited as a transfer by Jeremy Pruitt. And, you know, that was such a, a wild time in Knoxville as a transition for everybody. I didn't have anybody in the spring coming out of it saying, man, Hendon is the guy. This guy is going to lead this off. And so when Joe arrived, it made sense with the questions that still loomed over the quarterback position. At that time, so at that time of Joe coming in and going into fall camp, a lot of the opinion was from fans, okay, Joe probably wins the job. If it's not him, then it's got to be Harrison Bailey. This will be Harrison's chance in the offense. And then it was Hendon Hooker. We ran a, a, a Twitter poll, which is far from scientific, but no, Who do you not. want to be the starter? Joe it's very Milton. Scient- very scientific. Yeah. Joe Milton, Harrison Bailey, Hendon Hooker. Hooker barely got any votes. It was Milton that led. Then there were a lot of votes for Harrison Bailey 
then it then there were some votes that made it appear like maybe somebody accidentally clicked on Hinden. He got no talk, no talk, and he ends up being a Heisman contender two years later. So it would be revisionist history to say it was obvious at the time that Hinden should be the guy. And that's also to me why Hinden deserves so much credit, which he's gotten plenty of at this point, that he knew pretty early on uh, after Joe had arrived that, okay, Joe's going to get the opportunity here. And then he goes through fall camp and then the start of the season being the backup. And it would be easy to wonder, why did I come here? I came here with Jeremy Pruitt recruiting me. Now there's this new coach and he doesn't have the confidence in me. But everything I heard was Hinden was as dedicated as if he had been named the starter. And that allowed him to be ready. And that's why he did what he did after he took over. Well, and if you want to put a positive spin on this, you could say that he had Hendon ready. So in coaching, the way he set up practice, Hendon was ready. So you would anticipate if something happened to Joe or he didn't play well, mm-hmm. that Nico would be ready this year. It's fair to say, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've never heard any ill will from Hendon Hooker about how it was handled by Josh Heupel. So, yeah, I mean, it, it look, it was it was obviously a mistake based on what we've seen from Hendon Hooker and how things started out with Joe Milton. But I, it was not an egregious mistake, and it's on a short list of mistakes that Josh Heupel has been made. And, yeah, absolutely. When Hendon went out there, he did some good things against Pitt. He had that interception that he threw late. No blame at all. I mean, again, he hadn't been getting the first-team rep. So, uh, it, it all worked out. It all worked out, and eventually a change would have been made, I believe. How long? Uh, Tennessee's thankful that it won't have to know, and now the hope is that what Joe understands now will pay off for him, and part of that comes from learning from Hinton Hooker. Josh, great stuff as always. Noon to three on the Sports Animal. Uh, what the H, what the F. We got to the bottom of that and what Nico drives, so I thought it was a very productive session. Uh, I, I don't have anything else to add from an acronym standpoint. Had a great time and enjoyed it, guys. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Uh, CYA. See you later. That's actually something else. Oh, that totally means something else. <laughs> <laughs> so since we talked about Norm McDonald, his best bit is, uh, what's with the acronym ID? It feels like the D's carrying most of the weight. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. That could be- <laughs> if you think about it. You know, dentification, it's got the whole thing. Um, I My favorite from Norm is uh, chairman of the board when he was just ripping on uh, Carrot Top's movie as a guest with Conan, I believe. Oh, yeah. Remember that yeah. one? B-O-R-E-D. Chairman of the board, do something with that. Is it spelled B-O-R-E-D? Yeah. And the uh, it was the actress that was going to be on the movie. So it just completely tore it apart, but probably gave it more pub than it deserved. Cause if you check out the rotten tomatoes, Norm's prediction was spot on. Yeah. Agreed. I'm going to get Great a few monetized, but D carrying most of the weight is all I'm thinking of right now. It means something totally different. Sorry, That's like guys. nine letters. All right, Josh. Great stuff. <laughs> you got to see. You did you get my email by the way? I did. Did you have time to read a book on the weekend? As uh, a father of three small children, Assume it's a rhetorical question. You're going to wait for the audio version. Well, if if you're one of my beta readers, you get a free copy of the book, which I'm sure you can't wait for. It'll be a Merry Christmas for all. Josh, oh, I'll give your kids a book, and I'll even sign it. How many pictures? Pictures in the book? 
that's actually what we're struggling with right now. So thank you, Josh, for bringing that yeah. up. Yeah. He's fantastic. Noon to three on the sports animal at Josh underscore Ward. Follow him. Great follow. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Josh. How's it going, yeah. And you got to start reading too, Caleb. Well, you're a you beta reader. It. You yeah. just sent it to me yesterday. Well, I mean, you should be most. It's it. It's a book that uh, is going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. I haven't said anything publicly about it, but it's uh, Celebrate 98, the untold stories of the national championship 1998 Tennessee Volunteers. And there's, uh, I think, some good stuff in there because of the people I interviewed. Not that I'm a great writer, but excited about that. And uh, Josh and Caleb both just promised publicly that they'll get their proofing of it done by Sunday night. Hey, Dave. Yes. Question. Yes. You covered him. Who was who was more confident and arrogant in what they were doing? Lane Kiffin is one year at Tennessee or Josh Heupel now? That's good stuff. I'll answer that question in exactly two minutes with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Booker. And Craving Wings South North Shore location where we've heard people say that you can get the best wings in East Tennessee. Pero quien es este? El número 87, Jacob Warren. I'm just doing six of my sauce, 87, please. Imposible, señorita. Dale seis más. Look at these wings. Perfectas, deliciosas, fantásticas. Man, I don't know what you're saying, but it sounds awesome. How do you say fresh, never frozen in Spanish? Frescas, nunca congeladas. Make your way to Craven Wings and get you seis más. But what was funny about Kate is we were a full continuum of care at that time. We had detox, we had inpatient, we had outpatient. So we were doing a lot of the things that we do now. But now we just do them so much better. It's really a simple program, but it's, we're complicated people. I am what I am, and now I gotta do something about it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment with a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasti's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasti Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler, and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. You're listening to The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. The internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off The Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Is there nothing you people can't do? Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. As far as most arrogant slash cocky slash confident 
you asked the question, was it Lane Kiffin in his one year at Tennessee or Josh Heupel now? And I don't think, I think cockiness has a bad connotation. So I'm going to say confident. I actually think it was Lane Kiffin. I think he was more confident in what he was going to do and build Tennessee into than Josh Heupel. Because I think Josh Heupel has had the realization that things didn't go fantastic at Oklahoma, Caleb, uh, for him. And when you get a little bit of comeuppance, that that affects you. Um, Lane Kiffin got come up, comeuppance with the Raiders, but his response was basically the owner's an idiot. So he didn't learn anything from that. Um, I think Josh Heupel, which you pointed out, changed his offense significantly. So to me, that is that would be the determining factor. Um, Lane walked in thinking he was he was going to win multiple national championships. Yeah, and you know that first year, I remember he was proven right on some things. I mean, Lane Kiffin was uh, he was on an island sticking with Jonathan Crompton through the first five or six games, and he knew that he could turn Jonathan Crompton around, and he did. I mean, look, that that's Dave. You were covering the team. Did anybody think Jonathan Crompton was going to have that renaissance second half of the season when you were covering them throughout the first five games? I was close to the Crompton family, so I hoped. Did I think it? Um, no, I can't say that I thought it. Um, but man, I, I'm glad. I'm so glad that happened because that that's a great family. Jonathan recently named the head coach where he went to high school at Tuscola High School there in North Carolina. So he's got big things uh, cracking, and really happy for him. But I can't say that I thought that was going to happen. Um, and ultimately, we found out that David Reeves. Lane Kiffin's brother-in-law didn't know how to coach quarterbacks because when Lane Kiffin took over, then it was, it was a lot different. So um, appreciate Josh joining us. And also I remind you the top comment of the day wins a hooker t-shirt and off the hook sports t-shirt. So go ahead and throw that in there. Now, so far, here's who we've got. We've got Rocky top Tom, who's uh, throwing high heat with his comment earlier about uh, playing between the hedges and Tennessee's offensive line had nine pre-snap penalties. So top comment of the day gets a hooker t-shirt right now. Rocky top Tom looks like he's going to be able to sew this thing up. So I'll put my email here and you can uh, get on board. What did you think of Jonathan Crompton? The, the second half of that season, were you completely stunned or just kind of surprised that, uh, Crompton was able to pull it out. I was genuinely shocked. I was genuinely shocked. I actually, I thought that Tennessee should have like had, like I was one of those people like four or five games into the season thinking Tennessee should have just scrapped the pro style and put Gerald Jones in the wildcat and run wildcat the rest of the year with Gerald Jones at quarterback. <laughs> and I, I thought they had a better chance of winning games doing that. Um, largely because if you remember, Tennessee's defense was actually good that year. Monty Kiffin's, Tampa 2 was a perfect fit for the personnel of that defense, uh, of, of the players they had. And yeah, it, that was a seamless was. transition. No, completely agree. Um, now, uh, get, getting back on topic a little bit, um, we've got uh, Tennessee and projected to be favorites in fewer than nine games in 2023. Uh, this, according to um, Brett McMurphy, Give me the breakdown here because 
it, it surprises me a little bit in, in terms of where people are viewing Tennessee. We talked about Phil Steele earlier and this now. What do you think, Caleb? Yeah, so Brett McMurphy of the Action Network reports on Colin Wilson, who also has of Action Network, and his power ratings and the way he projects out the season. And based on these projections, he's named the teams that will be projected to win all 12 of their regular season games, 11 of their 12, 10 of their 12, and 9 of their 12. And now, to be fair, let me let me start with this. If you're projected as a if it's projected to be a pick, which then it's not a win. So it could be that for Tennessee. But as far as we are seeing right now, Tennessee is not projected to be favored in more than eight games this year. Now, I'm having a really hard time seeing and, and if if the season if if all if if everything went as Vegas projected. Alabama, Georgia, Louisville, Michigan, and Washington would be favored in every single game they play this year. Yes, Louisville's on that list. It's going to be favored in every single game they play this year. So I look at that and I think, well, if everything goes as projected, where would Tennessee be an underdog outside of Alabama and Georgia unless you consider Florida and Texas A&M pick-ems? Okay, I'm going to make an argument, okay, for – for them to be underdogs in four games. I'm not saying I believe it, but I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here. So let's start with, as you mentioned, Alabama and Georgia. They're going to be underdogs, I believe, in both of those games because the Alabama game is in Tuscaloosa. I actually think that'll be a surprisingly high number. I think it might be seven or eight. Um, But as far as Georgia... I think they'll be underdogs there because Georgia's Georgia right now. Let me make an argument for two more and tell me if this is a reach. At Florida, you're playing at Florida, so I think that's a factor. Let's remember this about Florida, too. They're going to play at Utah and uh, McNeese before Tennessee. So, I mean, Utah could beat them. So, I, I don't see that Florida will be ranked, but I'm going to make an argument. They beat Utah, and that's a big win, and they're not ranked. uh, Favorites, uh, I meant to say. And they're favorites in the Swamp. So I'll make that argument. The other argument I I guess I would make would be Texas A&M. Bobby Petrino comes in, cleans a lot of things up, and Texas A&M looks really solid for the first half of the season. And, man, I'm having trouble making this argument even because it is in Neyland Stadium. But that would be my argument. So let's say Tennessee slips up maybe against Florida, plays average against South Carolina, which I don't think will happen. Possibly an underdog to Texas A&M, but I'm really, really stretching to even get to four, Caleb. Yeah, and and – Let's not forget that Texas A&M, before playing Tennessee, has to visit Miami, has to host Auburn, play Arkansas at a neutral site, and then host Alabama. Like, given their record, are we sure that Vegas isn't going to react to them losing maybe two of those games? And I'll give you one that I actually I thought of, more likely than both, and I, I'm looking at it now. There's a, there's a good chance they're underdogs at Kentucky. And, and let me break down why real quick. So Florida wow. is – Florida will be an – Tennessee is going to be favored in their first two games, right? They're going to be favored against Virginia and Austin P. So they'll be 2-0. Say that Vegas goes as expected. Florida is going to be an underdog at Utah. We agree on that? 
Yes. Okay, so Florida loses to Utah and beats McNeese, and they're one and one. Tennessee's two and zero. Tennessee was already higher ranked to start the year, so I think Florida might be an underdog to host Tennessee. They lose that game. They're one and two. They beat Charlotte. They're two and two. Then they go visit Kentucky. They're two and two visiting Kentucky, who at that moment is going to be four and zero because they're going to be favored against Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, and Vanderbilt to start the year. So I think Kentucky will be favored over Florida. And so they'll be favored to start 5-0. and They'll be underdogs to Georgia to be 5-1. and And then they'll be favored over Missouri. So Kentucky is going to be favored based on the games. They'll be 6-1 and based on when they'll be favored before they play Tennessee. And they'll be coming off a bye. And so I think Vegas might actually favor Kentucky when Tennessee visits them this year. Here's the other thing to remember, though. If, if we're reaching a little bit with uh, Texas A&M, or I'm sorry, Kentucky, excuse me. If if I think you do you really think that Tennessee's gonna be an underdog at Kentucky or, or are we playing devil's advocate still? Well, okay, so Kentucky's six and one coming off the bye if everything goes as favorites. Tennessee, meanwhile, is probably six and one two coming off a bye because they've or not coming off a bye, just six and one two because they visit out, but they will have visited Alabama the week before and may have lost. Now I will say this. We're saying, we're saying all of this, but to be fair, Vegas doesn't, they don't react to things that were predicted. You know what I mean? Like that's what the polls do, but Vegas stays relatively stable the whole time. So may, so they're not going to get, on the other hand, when I say this, they're not going to get fooled by Florida losing to Utah and then say, oh, maybe we should favor Tennessee over over Florida, even though we would have favored Florida. They're going to stick with what they were. Vegas is much more consistent in understanding of where teams are, not what they they don't believe you're what your record says, which is why they're smarter than everybody else on this. Yeah, and see, I think Kentucky's going to get hammered at Georgia two weeks before, so that'll affect the number. The other thing that'll affect the number is Tennessee's fan base, and I'll tell you why. And it's brought to you by Andy Mason Group. Andy is uh, and his group are passionate, knowledgeable real estate agents with elite realty, about 40 years of experience. That's pretty awesome. And best prices, best service in the biz. That's pretty simple. So go ahead and make the right move for your next real estate transaction. Go to andymasonrealestate.com. That's andymasonrealestate.com. And the other reason that the numbers will get, will be inflated against Tennessee and they might be an underdog is Knoxville and the Tennessee fan base is a huge gambling area and they can shift the number by betting too much on Tennessee. And that's why we've seen the number move a couple of points. It seems like it happens once or twice a year. Um, And we've seen that happen historically, Caleb. So those are my reasons playing devil's advocate that Tennessee could be even close to a, a, a four uh, close to an underdog in four games. Yeah. And I've learned this a little bit with Vegas. They typically don't overreact when they're moving lines. Like usually when they move a line, they think it's two reasons. One, they think, Oh, we messed up this line. When we said it, we need to move it. Or they look, they're in the business of making money. So they're going to react to where if a bunch of people place a bet one way and they want to move the line a certain way, just to get, guarantee their profit. And so yeah, I think that I think Vegas. I I would assume that a bunch of Tennessee fans betting on Tennessee would move Vegas towards Tennessee, though, wouldn't it? 
Or do you think, or do you think they take the gamble, move the line even further the other way and say, Hey, we're going to get a huge payout when they're proven wrong on this. Yeah. I mean, I've just seen the number move at times. And I think that Tennessee is a huge gambling fan base. Uh, Travis says, I'm going to bet a hundred dollars on every game. We're underdogs in with Zen sports. Love it. Download the app. That's a Zen sports. And uh, don't forget that uh, promo code hooked use hooked uh, and uh, you will get uh, paybacks and you can recommend it to other people as well. We greatly appreciate Zen sports and all they do. So in the end, when we're having this conversation in mid December, Tennessee will be an underdog in how many games will have been an underdog. I think Tennessee will have been an underdog and I I still think it's just two games. I think I think they're an underdog in two, and then they're going to be a pick at Florida. That's what I think. It's going to be a pick at Florida, and then they're going to be an underdog with Alabama and Georgia. That's how I think this is going to work. Yep. I can roll with that. Rocky Top Tom wins our Shirt of the Day contest. Top comment on YouTube. We want you to like and subscribe. We greatly appreciate that. Top comment each and every day. We'll get a Off the Hook Sports t-shirt, so we'll gladly hook you up with that. And Dan leaves leaves us with this, which is pretty good. Lane Kiffin is a, is a legend in his own mind. I tend to agree with that. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. 10 o'clock Eastern live on wherever you stream and or podcast. And we greatly appreciate you downloading the app. And don't forget Spencer Riley up on the YouTube page. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. It is, of course, off the hook sports.